Well, good morning. I want you to make note of next Sunday we have a change in schedule. If you don't pay attention, you will be confused. We are meeting for the holiday outside. It's Lawn Chair Church. We have both services coming together at 1030. It's a different time. So please make sure that you take note of that. We're going to meet right out by the annex. We'll be celebrating outdoors. It's always a great Memorial Day weekend together and We'll follow that up with a hot dog lunch and also free snow cones from Frosties. How many of you have been through Frosties already? Anybody got a snow cone going on? Help us spread the word. Be here next week and we will get it going. Well, we are going to pick up where we left off before Graduate Recognition Sunday and Mother's Day. We looked at the last 40 days Jesus spent on this earth. That was not leading up to the cross. That was what happened after the cross. Jesus died. He was hung on that cross. He was buried in a tomb. He rose three days later. And then before he ascended to his throne, he spent another 40 days on this planet. Why? Well, we're looking into that. We're seeking to know the Lord, and we're seeking to know revival. In March of this year, we uh, dedicated uh, this season, a period of time to pursue revival and ask God to send revival. Uh, We started to see breakouts of the Holy Spirit in our nation there at Asbury College in Kentucky, spreading to other college campuses. And what we find historically throughout human history, whenever days have grown darker in a nation or in a country, we find that the Lord creates a new hunger among his people. We, like the prodigal son, uh, come to our senses. We find ourselves pursuing the wrong things, dark things, instead of God's will. We then harvest or reap what we've sown. Our nation has turned its back on the Lord and his ways and has pursued everything but God. And in those darkest of moments in our nation's history, we find that God is creating a new hunger, just like he did for the prodigal son. I want you to see that. I want you to turn to Luke chapter 15 today, Luke chapter 15. And if you remember the story of the prodigal son, he hungered for things other than what his father could give him. He hungered to go into the big city and live the party life and hang out with his friends and and just live the wild life. And he did that for a season. Wrong choices, wrong direction. And in that, he would develop a new hunger. Now, we find in this story, verse 14, that he's going to wake up in a pig pen. How'd he get there? Let's look at it. Now, when he had spent everything... That's what we find that sin does. Whenever we make wrong choices, whenever we go the wrong direction, it always costs us more than we thought it would ever cost. I mean, we've all wrestled with it. We've all struggled with making a wrong decision, knowing it isn't what God would want, but what we want. And we always think that uh, we're never going to get burned. Uh, We read stories of people who've been burned by their sin, people who live now lives of addiction, lives who's fallen apart because of their choices but that would never happen to us right well it happened to them it happened to him it says here that he had spent everything he had he was bankrupt he didn't have anything left and there was a severe famine that occurred in that country and he began to be impoverished so he went and he hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country and that employer sent him in the fields to take care of his pigs this guy became a pig servant started slopping the hogs just to try to get by and earn a little bit of money. And he says in verse 16 that he would have gladly filled his stomach with the pods that the swine were eating. 
because no one was giving anything to him. He was bankrupt. He had no resources. He couldn't take care of himself. He'd lived a good party life. He'd had all kinds of great parties, great food, great times, but now he has nothing. He's impoverished. That's what sin does to us. And now he is hungry. He's so hungry that he looks at what the pigs are eating. He thinks, you know what? Maybe, maybe I'll go there. He was that hungry. But I want you to see that when we get to those dark places, God creates in us a new hunger. Now, he wasn't hungry for a four-course meal, although he was. He wasn't hungering for fried chicken, although I would have been. Amen? Wouldn't that fried chicken sound a lot better than pig slop? Or perhaps you heard this week the great announcement to human history that Bluebell has come out with a new flavor. Did you see it? Dr. Pepper Float. Thank you, Jesus. Revival has come, huh? That's not what he was hungering for, although I was all week long. No, he was hungering for something different. Take a look at it. Verse 17. And maybe this is what God's doing in your heart, in our heart. As we've been praying for God to revive us, maybe God is bringing us to our senses. But when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired men have more than enough bread, but I'm dying here with hunger? Now again, watch this. He doesn't go back to mama's home cooking. But look at what he was really hungering for. Don't miss it. Look at this, verse 18. For I will get up and I will go to McDonald's. Is that what it says? No. I will go to my father. And I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. You see, he finally got to a point in his life where he was so sick and tired of the way he'd been living, God started putting in his soul a hunger. Not a hunger for vittles or for better nutrition, but a hunger for the Father. And I would tell you, that's when revival comes. Revival comes to your life and to our lives when we get to that point where we come to our senses and we realize there's nothing on this planet that can fill that hunger except the presence of the Father. I will go back to my Father. I will declare to him I've sinned against heaven and against him. That's when revival breaks out. Revival breaks out when we repent of our sin and when we hunger for the Father more than anything else on this planet. The reason we're not experiencing revival is because we hunger for other things. We're consuming other things. We'd rather have other things than just the Father. God forgive us. God send us revival. And so the psalmist prayed that. You remember our theme verses, Psalm 85, 6. I'll put it up on the screen. Look at what the psalmist prayed. This was his prayer. This was a song he would sing unto the Lord, a prayer of his heart. Lord, will you not revive who? Us. He needed revival, but his people needed revival. I need revival. We need revival. And so may we pray like the psalmist, God, revive us. I hope you're praying not just for your own revival, but I hope you're praying for everyone in this room. I hope you're praying for all of us to be revived by the Lord and that the people may rejoice again. Our desire is to seek him and to take him to our neighborhood, to the shadow of our steeple and around the world. Today, we'll be out prayer walking at 4 o'clock. If you've not done that yet, I, I'd encourage you to join us this afternoon. 
Meet in the children's tower. It's real simple. They'll give you a street to walk. You get to enjoy the beauty of outdoors. And as you walk by homes, pray that God would revive those families, that God would revive this neighborhood, that we would be a part of blessing our neighbors as we love them, as we love our God. That's steps of revival. And then Psalm 105, verse 4, it's a daily thing. It's a daily seeking. The psalmist said that we are to seek the Lord, we're to seek his strength. We're not trying to be strong for God, we're letting God's strength be alive in us. And then it says a very unique phrase, seek his face continually. His face. I told you before, we are famous for seeking the hand of God. God help me. God give me. God bless me. The greatest blessing you'll ever receive from God is just his face. Face time with God. Spending time with him, walking with him continually. Not just during Holy Week, not just for a month as we pray and fast, but every single day seeking him, his strength, and his face continually. So Jesus left his throne, was born in a manger, walked a perfect life, lived a sinless life so that he could die for your sin and for mine the perfect lamb of god to take away our sin he was crucified on a cross he was buried in a tomb and three days later he rose again from the dead but he did not go straight into the throne room he spent another 40 days because he had some things to take care of we studied this a few weeks back the first thing we saw that he did in those 40 days was he dealt with the disciples doubts and their lack of direction he appeared to them and he spoke in their lives and he robbed the that spirit of fear he took it out of their hearts and he replaced it with peace and with purpose he gave them direction of of what they were to continue to do in the for the glory of his name the second thing we saw that we studied is that they needed that face time with them they needed his presence they needed his strength and today you're going to see the third thing the very last thing Jesus did before he left this earth. What was so important? What was the very last thing on Jesus' mind? Well, we're going to dig into that this morning. Uh, you'll find it in Luke chapter 24. Go to Luke chapter 24. And the third thing was he was challenging his disciples to walk in his promise. Walk in his promise. Look at Luke 24 and verse 44. These would be his last words while he walked on the earth. And he would say to his disciples, these are my words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all the things that were written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and all the Psalms must be fulfilled. Jesus reminds them that the word of God that they had, they only had what we know as the Old Testament. That is the word of God for them in that day. That all of that, that many of you think the Old Testament is some archaic old testament no all of it is testifying of one thing one person the lord jesus he showed him and he taught him all of this is simply pointing to me verse 45 then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures you might have a bible you might have one with you you might have read the bible this past week but that doesn't mean you understand the bible the pharisees studied the Bible every day. The Pharisees memorized the first five books of the Old Testament, every single verse. They could quote it, they could speak it, but they didn't understand it. They missed it. It was just words on a page. 
But Jesus opened up their mind. Uh, he is the teacher. He is the one that brings all understanding. And that word understanding in the Greek literally means to put the pieces together. Jesus is the one that takes these words off a page, puts them in our heart, pieces them together so that we can see what God's will is, what God's design is for our life. And only Jesus can reveal that to you. Do you ask for God to teach you? Do you ask for God to give you understanding? This morning, pray right now. Say, God, give me understanding about what we're about to see. It's a picture here again. That word in the Greek is, is like somebody sitting at a table with a bunch of puzzle pieces. And all you see are just itty-bitty pieces, and you have no idea what picture is represented. But after all those pieces are put together, then you can see what it represents that's what Jesus does for us. He takes all the pieces from Genesis to Revelation. He pulls it all together to let us see his glory, his will, and his purposes. Go to verse 46. So he said to them, thus it is written that the Christ would suffer, that he would rise again from the dead on the third day, and that repentance for forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all the nations, beginning right here in Jerusalem. That it wasn't a religion for the Jews. It wasn't just for a certain group of people. His sacrifice was for the whole world, for you and for me. And that that would be proclaimed throughout all the earth. So again, we find Jesus dying for our sins. We see him buried, rising from the dead, and spending 40 days here to get to this very next part, delivering on the Father's promise. Look at it, verse 49. For behold, I am sending forth the promise of my Father upon you. Do you see verse 49? Behold, I'm sending forth the promise of my Father. The very last thing Jesus declared before he rose from the dead was, Hey, I'm giving you the promise of the Father. Let's talk about that promise today. Do you know what the promise of the Father is? Let's talk about promises for a moment. Have you ever told somebody, I promise? Have you ever made a promise to someone and broke it? We make promises all the time. Uh, when we're younger and littler, uh, some, not all, this is maybe more for the females in the room, little pinky swear promises. Remember those little things? Or do you remember saying this? I promise, I cross my heart, I stick a Needle in my, what in the world? What kind, what, what? It's crazy how we have to try to convince people that we really are serious about our promise. And people make promises all the time. Promises sometimes that are kept, promises many times that are broken. So I want to make a promise to you this morning. I'm going to prove it to you in an illustration. What if I told you, I promise, I can predict every person's mood in this room. Would you believe me? If I could go around and just point out people say I can predict your mood this very moment would you believe me well let's let's just go there so here's the illustration let's just go there you see the horse on the screen here's what I want you to do for the next 15 seconds I'm gonna get it started there's a black dot on the horse you're gonna stare at that if you've done this before then you just sit back and let everybody else experience it you're gonna stare at that black dot for 15 seconds and as you stare at it just nothing but the black dot the Horse will change colors to your mood. All right, ready, set. I'm going to time you, and I'll tell you when we're done. Ready, 
See what color you come up with. Ready, set, go. Fifteen seconds is up. All right, you should see a color. Now look at the grid down at the bottom and look and see what mood you are. Did it predict your mood? Was I right? Huh? I promise. He got it, right? Isn't that good? You love your pastor still? Nobody walked out? That's good. Did, how, many, how many saw a different color than gold? If you saw a different color, there's an invitation we're about to have for you right now. You need to get right with God. Maybe you're turning red right now. Maybe you're getting a little angry, but you were all seeing gold. I promised, right? Made it right. Delivered on my promise. Well, what if I gave you another promise? What if I promised you this? Now that you believe me, now that you know I hold true to my promises, what if I promised you that at the end of this service, you could meet me out in the lobby, and for everyone who was willing to stay just a little bit longer and meet with me in the lobby, I would give you $10,000 per person. I promise. No? Anybody staying after church? Anybody going to meet me in the lobby? Yeah, a few of you. I just, I love my people. That's good. That's awesome. Uh, don't do it. Now, what if I told you, though, what if I told you this? Guys, you're not going to believe it, but today we have a very special guest with us. This guy is one of the most brilliant men in our country today, created one of the largest companies ever, one of the richest men on the planet, a guy by the name of Jeff Bezos is here, however you say his name, the guy who created Amazon, the guy who now owns most of your finances. The only way we can experience life through prime delivery in Amazon.com. And Jeff is going to meet you out in the lobby today, and he has $10,000 for every person who's willing to come and get a copy of his book. How many of you would stay after church and line up in the lobby now? A few more? What's the difference? Well, you know I can't deliver on my promise. You know I can't give you that kind of money. But Jeff can, and you would make it to the lobby because you know he could deliver on the promise. Let me tell you this. The Bible is full of the promises of a holy God, and every promise that is in the Word of God, God has delivered, every single promise. And he can because he is God. And there is nothing that is impossible for him. And yet we look at those promises and we say, no, 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 that's not possible. No, that's not for me. No, God doesn't deliver. Wrong. God delivers on his promises. And so Jesus told his disciples, listen, last thing, guys. I'm going to give you the Father's promise. You ever seen that phrase in Scripture? That begs a question, doesn't it? What is the promise? What is this promise Jesus was talking about? Was he promising a ticket to heaven? No, it's bigger than that. Let me show it to you. We find it, Acts chapter 2, and we're going to find it in the Old Testament as well. But go to Acts chapter 2 quickly. Let's see this promise Jesus was talking about. We get to Acts 2, and we find Peter preaching the very first sermon. Remember Jesus told his disciples, you're going to preach this gospel of repentance? 
people are going to be saved. And so Peter gets to preach that very first sermon. And when he preaches it, thousands of people come to know Christ. But I want you to see what Peter preached about. He preaches about this promise in verse 37. Now, when they had heard this, what? The gospel. He had preached them how they could be saved. They were pierced to the heart, and they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, What shall we do? Peter said to each of them, Repent, each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Verse 39, here's the key. Look at what Peter says next. For the promise is for you. There's the promise again. What Jesus spoke about, Peter preached about. What Jesus promised, Peter made available to those who just heard the gospel. He said, this promise is for who? You. Those who had trusted in Christ, those who had repented of their sins. He said, now the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call to himself. So what was this promise? He was pointing them to the Father's promise. He was pointing them to what Jesus had pointed them to. Not a promise just to go to heaven. He had already told them how to get to heaven. But he was telling them about something more than just heaven. The promise is bigger than that. So what is this promise? Go back and see what he preached. Look at it, verse 14. Go back, back it up. Verse 14. So Peter taking his stand with the eleven, raised his voice and declared to them, Men of Judea and all who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give heed to my words. For these men are not drunk as you suppose, for it is only the third hour of the day. What you're missing here in this context is the launch of Pentecost. You remember Jesus had told them to go and to wait. Before they ever took the gospel to the world, they were to wait because he was going to give them the Father's promise. And as they waited in that upper room, as they waited on God's timing, as they waited on the promise, the Bible says God sent the Holy Spirit into that room. The Holy Spirit invaded each of their hearts. They were filled with the Holy Spirit. And the Bible says they began to speak in other tongues. They all began to declare the gospel, not in their tongue, but in someone else's tongue. Why? Well, at that festival that holiday of pentecost they would all come into jerusalem all from other nations as they've been scattered throughout the earth over the generations and they would come into jerusalem to to continue to worship during pentecost and as they were in the city they began to see people who were not from their tribe who didn't naturally speak their tongue but they were speaking the gospel in their own language and they freaked out they didn't know how to figure it out what is going on and the only thing they can conclude is these guys must be having wine fest instead of pentecost peter said these guys aren't drunk they're experiencing the promise the promise of the father what is this promise verse 16 for peter would say for this is what was spoken through the prophet joel the promise was given earlier through the prophets the promise of the Father was spoken to Israel, spoken to these people. And here was the promise. Look at it, verse 17. And it shall be in the last days, God says, that I will pour forth of my Spirit on all mankind. The promise of the Father 
was the promise of the Holy Spirit. That there would be a new covenant established in new hearts to experience a new power. See, in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit, who has always been the Holy Spirit, who is God, would come on people. He would move throughout the earth. But he promised that there would be a day that no longer would he just move on this earth, but he would live in the hearts of his children. The promise of the Father. The reason we've titled this sermon series, Ready, Set, Go, is because we've lived it backwards. We got ready because we got saved. Jesus came to live inside of us. And then we were told, well, now you need to go to your friends. And now you need to go to your neighbors. And you need to go to Jerusalem. You need to go to Judea. You need to go to Samaria. You need to go to the ends of the earth. You need to go to New York City this summer and Costa Rica and Honduras and Guatemala and wherever else God's going to take us. And we should go. But the last thing Jesus said to his disciples before he left this earth, before he sent them to preach the gospel, is he said, get ready. Get ready because I'm going to send you the promise of my Father. I'm afraid there are way too many of us who know the message of salvation. We know the Jesus who saves, but we've not experienced the Father's promise. The disciples followed Jesus Peter had been saved he had declared thou art the son of the living God but he'd not experienced the father's promise and then at Pentecost the promise was delivered at Pentecost he was filled with the Holy Spirit and he became a brand new man with a whole new power no longer hiding behind walls but now preaching the gospel to the whole world what changed the promise was experienced so let's take a look at it again very quickly go back to acts 2 verse 38 acts 2 and 38 what did peter preach again let's dig it out let's see the father's promise peter said to them repent each of you be baptized in the name of the lord jesus christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the holy spirit do you see it now there's the promise The promise wasn't just a promise that you'll be in heaven with me one day. The promise is bigger than a destination. It's bigger than a ticket. It's the gift of the Holy Spirit. Look at the context, verse 39. For that promise, that promise, the promise of the Father is for you. It's for your children. And for all who are far off, all those like a prodigal son who's living out there in dark things, if you'll just come back to the Father, you can have this gift, the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, here's three things I want you to see about this gift. What do we learn in those two verses about the gift? The gift is the promise. The promise is a gift. He says, I give this to you as a gift. What did they need? they needed to receive what only God could provide his power and he said the promise is a gift just like any other gift a gift is only yours just like that ten thousand dollars that you aren't getting today by the way but if it were possible the only way you would walk out of here with ten thousand dollars is you would have to go meet Jeff in the lobby you would have to hold out your hand and you would have to receive what he has for you But can I tell you, you get to leave here today with something way greater than anything Jeff Bezos could give you. 
you can leave here today with the same power that resurrected Jesus from the dead. Do you understand that? The Holy Spirit who gave life to a dead body that was buried in a tomb, that same Holy Spirit is a gift to you. The promise of the Father. It's a gift. The second thing I want you to see about the promise, the promise is a person. He says, for this gift for you is the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, some of you, you didn't grow up with the King James Version, but your parents and grandparents did, and it kind of spooked people away from the Holy Spirit. Because in the King James, he's referred to as the Holy Ghost. You ever heard the term Holy Ghost? Anybody want to hang out with the Holy Ghost? Spooked me all the way away from him. When I was a kid, I didn't grow up in the church. I started hearing about these Holy Ghost church. I'm like, they can have their ghost. I don't need no ghost. I ain't going to hang out with a ghost. And when you hear a ghost, it's like some kind of weird phenomenon you just kind of see float through your room, kind of messes with your mind, kind of this ethereal kind of out-of-body thing that just kind of happens. No, the Holy Spirit is a person. It's God who chooses to live in you. A promise he gave not only will I forgive you of your sins, but I will so want to live in you. I want to be your father, and I will live in you, your new heart. But here's the third thing you need to see. The promise is all about his presence. Take a look at it. Ezekiel. Go over to Ezekiel. Find Ezekiel. Ezekiel chapter 36. Take a look. Look it up. If you're there, say, uh-huh. Yeah, three of us got it. Awesome. Let's wait for the rest. Ezekiel 36, verse 26. If you're there, say, uh-huh. If you're just saying that to sound spiritual, that's okay. Hopefully you're there. Verse 26. Listen to what God promised all the way back in Ezekiel's day, way before Jesus, way before the cross, way before his resurrection. Listen to what the Lord promised. Verse 26, moreover, God speaking through Ezekiel, moreover, I will give you a new heart and I will put a new spirit within you. I'll remove your old heart of stone from your flesh and I'll give you a new heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes. And you will be careful to observe my ordinances. The promise of the Father was, not only am I going to save you from a literal hell, a place for those who reject me, die in their sin, die like a prodigal son in a distant place in dark things, separated from my holy presence because they did not repent. Not only will I save you from a literal hell, but I promise, this is God speaking, I promise I'll give you a new heart. I'll give you a new life. I will put my spirit in you. Why? Because God didn't die just to give you a new destination one day. Jesus said, I came to give you abundant life. And you'll never know the abundant life if you don't know the promise. Oh, there are a bunch of us that know a new destination. We'll spend eternity in heaven because of what Jesus has done for us. Thank you, Jesus. I'm glad I'll spend eternity with him someday. I don't want to spend eternity in hell. I'm glad I'll be forgiven and in his presence. But you know what? I can still experience hell right here on this earth. 
a life of disobedience, a life in sin is a living hell. God said, I'm not just going to save you so you go to heaven one day. I'm going to save you. I'm going to put my spirit in you so you can have victory over hell on earth. So that you can have power in your life. That same power that would raise Jesus, his dead, dead body, to life. I'll raise your dead spiritual life. I will be your power. I promise. That's the promise of the Father. That requires a new heart. That requires a total surrender. That is a relationship with the Father and experiencing his presence in you. Do you know the promise? 